0: Welcome back to Getting Real,
1: I'm Emma,
0: I'm Emily, I'm Elise, and I'm Louise. Today we will be discussing the topic of Latin American immigration to the U.S.
2: Immigration's, I think, a hot topic in contemporary Amer- American politics. It's probably one of the most contentious debated topics in the news these days. Yeah, and, and I agree with that,
3: and I also think that it's a great topic to analyze from like a theological standpoint, because Christian beliefs are constantly, you know, being invoked on both sides of the issue.
1: Funny thing is the political conservatives in the U.S. who are anti-immigration tend to be Christian, and many of the immigrants coming to the U.S., especially those from Latin America, also identify as Christian. What do you make of that? That's a really interesting point. You know, theologians
0: like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Howard Thurman have pointed out that there are often two types of Christianities being practiced simultaneously. Like, during the Civil Rights Movement, Reverend King and Black Southerners seemed to practice a completely different kind of Christianity than Southern whites. Mm -hmm.
2: That's a great point. You know, the Christianity practiced by Black Americans in the South probably resembled the religion of Jesus that Thurman writes about. You know, it's a religion of oppressed people that offers hope, a sense of justice, and the belief in one's innate belonging as a child of God. And on the other hand, the Christianity practiced by Southern whites was used to justify slavery and then segregation.
1: This is a tension we see today among Christians over the issue of immigration. It is the question of whether Christianity is a religion of oppressed people or oppressors and whether Christianity permits exclusion or requires community.
3: Yeah, that, I think that's all really great question, like points, and I think that... You know, what question I would ask is, what do you think Christian theology would say about the thousands of unaccompanied minors packed into detention centers at the border?
0: Yeah, every time I see a news article about that, I just think it's so heartbreaking. Right. But I think a lot of Christian organizations are really deeply concerned about immigration and human rights. In fact, last summer, I attended the Ignatian Solidarity Network's Migration Justice Summit. Which is all about how college students at Jesuit universities can engage in activism to push for more just immigration policies. Oh,
2: wow. That's super cool. Yeah, that's a cool event, Emma. You'll have to let us know how we can maybe attend that in the future. I think the Christian beliefs in human dignity and respect for life would necessitate our support for immigration policies that don't harm immigrants, either physically or psychologically in that matter. And this means border detention probably has to go. What do you guys think?
0: Yeah. On a similar note, um, another possible theological interpretation of immigration and border detention is the idea that Professor Adkins Jones introduced in class. That is, that some believe that Christian life and theology doesn't actually begin with Jesus, rather, it begins with the articulation of a life with the God of Israel. And this involves three aspects of life first, a position or place from which to see life, second, a way of life of following Jesus, the Son of God, in and through the Spirit, and third, a form of life.
3: And also just to like go back to the first point that you mentioned, Emma, because I think, you know, from from the standpoint of our conversation today, I think it's super important because we're talking about, you know, two different groups in the conversation. And I think that, you know, a position or place, um, from which to see life describes a position in which, like one sees life from the margins. So you know, immigrants, like specifically in our in our conversation today, and and but in our conversation, with Professor Atkin Jones, it describes the place of the Gentile, and and in other words, you know, it conveys that we must think with empathy and humility toward one another. And while a Gentile refers to someone who is non-Jewish, thinking about it more abstractly, I think that we can interpret. Gentile as an outsider, and thus, you know, as I was mentioning right before, applied to immigration, Christian thinking entails not only that we must respect, appreciate, but also connect with those from different places and understand the world through their outside perspective. This thinking, you know, demands border detention and misconduct towards immigrat- immigrants that shouldn't be tolerated. And I think that it also reflects this idea of like we could be the ones in these like detention centers, and the question is, are we going to look at them? from our standpoint, or are we gonna to try to put ourselves in their position? And I think that's something that we should all you know, kind of reflect on when mm-hmm. we're thinking about immigration.
1: Yeah, great points, Louise. just like to jump back into those three points and focusing on the last aspect, a form of life, that kind of entails that Christians live a migrant life. And by migrant life, I mean being asked by the spirit of God to be people not of your choosing, of people not like yourself. As such, like the migrant life calls us to enter the pains and the histories and realities of others and to deeply care for one another in order to create a Christian life together as God wants. And, you know, this is the idea that, you know, your people are my people. Or when you go over to someone's house, like, your house is my house, and in turn encourages cultural intersections and immigration. Additionally, this notion challenges us to think about ourselves as citizens of one place, that place being God's realm. And once again, this idea, as as well as the first Aspect of life challenges us to understand and to see that Christian theology would not approve of detention facilities, and instead demonstrates the openness and care for others that are deeply embedded in the Christian tradition.
3: Yeah, and, and I think those are all really good points. And I kind of wanted to go back to this idea that so many of the immigrants coming to the yet to the U.S. Sorry, especially those who have been detained at our southern border are Christian and you know what does that what does the christian faith provide to these people to help them you know through their circumstance as migrants
2: that's a great question louise first off you know i think the christian faith offers acknowledgement i think it doesn't ignore struggle pain adversity it acknowledges it all and it brings back the idea that jesus struggled he fought and overcame situations that he faced and christian faith doesn't undermine or judge one's situation either when faced with the idea of the unknown And I think with a situation as precarious as immigration, that that can be appreciated. And at the core of this unknown is the idea of fear. And fear is something that a lot of people don't want to talk about, you know, because no pun intended, but it's scary. As discussed in class, like the fear of failure, the fear of judgment, the fear of uncertainty, you know, the list goes on and on. This fear that people don't want to talk about can sometimes dictate people's lives. It can dictate decisions that are made or not made. It can act as an escape, a hiding place, but it isn't always negative. You know, sometimes it drives people to make change and realize their fullest potential
0: hmm this topic of fear sounds familiar to me did we talk about this in class <laughs>
2: you know yeah that's a great point you know we actually did we spent a really interesting amount of time in class actually talking about fear as a lot of people kind of opened up and talked about especially this last year the fear that had been present and in jesus and the disinherited howard thurman discusses this idea of fear he opens up by talking about the many types of fear, such as fear of objects people the future all these different things and then there's the fear which has to do with aspects of experience and detailed states of mind you know thurman talks about this idea when the basis of fear is analyzed it is clear that it actually arises out of the sense of isolation and helplessness in the face of the very dimensions of violence to which the underprivileged are exposed to. And he goes into this other example about how um, specifically society in which certain people or groups either by virtue of economic, social, or political power um, have dead weight advantages over others who are essentially without that kind of power. And those who are thus disadvantaged know that they can't fight back effectively and they can't protect themselves and that they cannot demand protection from their prosecutors.
1: If fear that as an immigrant coming into the U.S., they feel some of these ideas presented by Thurman. They fear not having someone on their side fighting for them. They fear not being able to defend for themselves. And they fear not achieving something they were determined to do. However, Christian faith teaches us to believe and to trust. Christian faith promises to be there for better and for worse. One last thing I want to mention in reference to Thurman is, after just describing several examples of fear, he poses the questions, did Jesus deal with this kind of fear? If so, how did he do it? This is a reference in Luke that reads, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Being Christians, children of God, there's a psychological effect on the individual. The conviction that he's a child of God gives a no of integrity to whatever he does. It provided character in the same sense of sure knowledge and effective performance.
2: Um, sorry to interrupt, but Louise, if I remember correctly, you have a personal experience with this. Do you mind sharing with us kind of what your experience was coming to the U.S. was like? Yeah, so
3: I honestly had, like, a really good experience coming to the U.S. just because I feel like, you know, Boston is super international regardless. But last year, you know, when COVID hit, um, a lot of my friends and I, we weren't able to leave the U.S. because our homes were essentially barred from, like, the flying list from the U.S. And that was very scary, not having that home to go back to, which I think kind of helped us, A, like, redefine our homes, but, what I did experience that kind of really empowered the, the way that I view Boston College, at least um, in my personal experience, was when um, ICE actually issued an order saying you know, that if universities didn't open their schools to, the, to, to open classes like for everyone, all international students would be deported. Even the students like already in the U.S., would all have to leave. And that's That's super scary to think about because I specifically didn't leave for this reason and now I was in a situation where I would have to leave and BC, as well as a lot of other universities really served as a resource and they were talking about creating this like one credit course, so that we could stay. And I think that that's kind of the power of BC and why like the topic of migration can be spoken about in universities because they can be such a resource for people coming from all around the world.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for sharing, Louise. I can't imagine the stress and turmoil that must have, that time must have brought you. And, you yeah, know, you brought up BC, and I think, like, there's so many ways that BC tries to connect people from outside perspectives or from different perspectives and different backgrounds. I know, like, freshman year, we had hoots, and then going into sophomore, you, you had weekly meetings as well with your friends floor and your TAs trying to get to know each other's backgrounds and you know personal stories just trying to create a community um on campus and specifically you know in our dorms and um especially considering the fact that you know bc has so many people from an international perspective it's always great to see that they try to incorporate ways to unite the student body
0: exactly I really think that migrants today take on the role that Jesus took on in his life. You know, he was a poor Jew. He was an outcast. And immigrants who are new to the U.S. could share this feeling. Or even, like in Louise's example, international students might feel sometimes like outsiders or like they don't belong. Um, You know, they're living on the outskirts of society. And so, however, Christian faith offers them a sense of hope and belonging and the belief that they are innately worthy as human beings so this can help immigrants dealing with fear and adversity
3: yeah like i i think that that's very correct what you're talking about and also just to go back to more precisely like latin immigration because you know even my example like i'm i'm very aware that i'm coming from a very privileged standpoint like i'm a white you know coming from european countries like i know that there's a, a question of privilege. And in the U.S., spe- like specifically when we're talking about Latin immigration, uh, Latin American immigration, sorry, there's also an aspect of race and like discrimination that we need to, you know, acknowledge because that's also where this fear is coming from. And, you know, that's that's a result of the increased polarization in politics. And, you know, probably Trump's negative language hasn't helped. And, and actually, you know, in, in 2016, after Trump was elected, there was a research survey done by Pew um, Research Study, and they said that 65% of respondents um, state like stated that it was more common for people to express racist or racially insensitive views. And not only that, but 45% of respondents said it was, were acceptable to do so. Um, I think that this is, you know, so problematic because you know, what we're seeing is a space defined by whiteness that defends and protects those who perpetrate violence against minorities, and in our case, immigrants from Latin America. Race relations are dire, and, and, and that's something that's, you know, felt by many different communities. In 2019, for example, four in ten Latinos said they had experienced some form of discrimination in the past 12 months, and in 2021, 30% of American respondents admitted that Hispanics face a lot of discrimination in society today. And forty six said they face some, and I think that that's so disturbing. I know that's crazy, Louise. It is, and also I feel like that's something that we we can like often be detached from because of our you know privileges that we sometimes forget about, and this why like I think that that's also why acknowledging the the hate present and acknowledging the realities of this conversation is so important, and and this hatred that has been normalized. I mean, from my political science background, I like to think is kind of a result of like Trump's message of America first in 2016, which personally, I think, you know, kind of became the justification for many of his policies, including building the wall across the southern border, because even when he did so, he was like, you know, they're sending people that have lots of problems. They're bringing those problems to us. They're bringing drugs, crime, like, you know, they're rapists, like all of this rhetoric was so pejorative and and damaging to the reputation of these communities who are good people like they're they're people just like us you know like so i don't know this was something that i had difficulty reconciling with
0: Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, Trump's rhetoric is really problematic because it's more than just rhetoric, right? It it inspires hate and it, it inspires violence. And this makes me think a lot about the El Paso shooting in 2019, which was perpetrated by a white nationalist. And he was claiming to respond to a Hispanic invasion of Texas, which is crazy and you know his language was clearly rooted in the idea that Hispanics are outsiders and they've threatened white america who are and white americans are the insiders and so however you know the victims were also americans so it didn't quite make sense but, you know, this nationalist rhetoric favored by Trump was based on whiteness. And it makes me angry because the shooter obviously dehumanizes his victims and forgot that they were so much more than their ethnic and cultural identity. You know, they had lives, stories, families and faces. So ultimately, this is why we're doing theology. Theology is about empathy and it's about serving the most marginalized. As Simone Vail has beautifully stated, attention is a sacrament. So we're here to do exactly that you know, try to think about the issue of immigration in order to bring attention to the difficulties that immigrants in the US are facing.
1: Could have said it better. Yeah, you guys, you guys are correct. Like this notion of othering or having an us versus them mentality has been extremely detrimental and so prevalent in society, as Emma pointed out with the El Paso example. And this mentality continues to foster an anti-immigrant rhetoric in the United States and introduces questions of mercy and justice surrounding immigration for instance you know it proposes difficult questions and very complex and questions that you know can make us very uncomfortable to think about in regards to mass deportation and raids like are they justified because immigrants cross illegally to begin with or should we show them mercy especially considering that they often come from very violent and unsafe backgrounds and countries that they tried to escape in the first place and you know I think that we should always show empathy and compassion towards one another, but I also think this is a way for people who are against immigration to justify the cruel and unjust and, you know, just anti immigrant and hate rhetoric towards immigration and why detention centers continue to be normalized or at least used as a form of detention mm-hmm. with immigration.
0: Mm-hmm. Or even
3: just of oppression, which is so messed up, and I think that at the end of the day, when I like think about it, it's just like we're all people and and I think that you know when we when we're talking about detention centers like we're talking from the comfort of our homes, mm-hmm. but you know we could have been any of these like migrants seeking safety, or even like makes me think of the refugee crisis in europe like i'm I've always been a proponent of like opening up the borders when people seek help,
1: no for yeah, yeah, sure. Exactly, Louise. Like this also, you know, makes me think about where does the church stand in this? Like, should the church aid immigrants today? And is the church responsible to just become involved in general, especially as we talked about that a lot of the Latin American immigrants do follow a Christian faith?
2: Right. Those are those are pretty important questions that I think we can all kind of sit with and really think about. And this conversation has really inspired me to learn more about immigration in the U.S. and to mobilize my Christian beliefs in support of immigrants. And just out of curiosity, does anyone know what's currently going on in terms of immigration policy?
1: Yeah, Emily. Well, you know, right now, there's a bill in Congress called the American Dream and Promise Act that would provide a pathway to citizenship for many immigrants in the United States. The bill has already passed in the House, but it still needs to be passed in the Senate.
3: And also, like... It's just in general, a great opportunity to get involved. I know that we're involved in so many other social issues, but this is yet another way that we can show our support for immigrants from the comfort of our house. It's just by you know calling or even emailing our senators to urge them to pass um, the American dream and promise out.
0: Wow, thanks guys. I think it's so important that we covered this topic on our podcast because conversations like these have the power to shape the future. You know. Our listeners, our voters, and potential activists who may now have a different outlook on immigration issues. Well, that's all for us today. And we just want to give a special thanks to our sponsors, Professor Adkins Jones and Professor Potter, who taught us what we know about th- theology.
2: Whoop, whoop. Hey. Yeah, special <laughs> shout out to them. Thank you. <laughs> all right, that's all for us. Bye.